your story is stuck in a corner, but there's no way you can save the characters with anything you can pull out of your ass, what do you do? When you need a way to save a character's life without actually trying to put effort in, what do you do? And we need a badass, super-powered moment, but superheroes don't exist. What do you do? Well, the answer is magic. But, you know, nowadays with these woke, dumb, liberal scumbag audiences, they want you to be consistent and treat like a quote-unquote science, whatever that is. But in all seriousness, what is a magic system? And why do you need one? I mean, can't we just let magic be a mystery? And why is the answer yes? All in this episode of Why Are You Talking About This? Nerd. Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of Waytad Nerd. I am William, and I will be your NAMP guide through the world of magic today. And uh, if you get that reference, fuck yeah. Uh, but before we go any further, I just want to thank you so much for listening. It means the world. Uh, no matter how it is you do that, from listening from a pod player like a normie, to a magic talking rock, or having a homunculus of me on your desk repeating verbatim what I've what I'm saying as I say it. And uh, that's how we got to talk privately, because you've probably heard things I don't want repeated in public. Um, also, I'm going to apologize uh, for the sounds and construction in the background. Um, my, my room is right next to a house project that's going on right now. I'm not going to be a douchebag and, like tell my family, hey, stop working on this thing they've been working on for months, uh, so that I can record my silly little podcast episode, so, um, just deal with it, and don't be, like, a weird audio pervert, um, or enjoy as, like, some background music, uh, but anyways, um, I also noticed I started talking about episode 20 way too early last time, um, that I started talking about doing a review episode. So, I think this time I gotta wait, like, maybe five episodes in advance instead of ten. Because ten was, like, a couple months of uh, saying, like, sending emails. Um, so, I'm gonna shorten that down. Uh, but, also, um, I've uploaded the first episode of Fireside Chat with Waytat to the YouTube channel. Uh, so make sure to check that out. And our first episode was on the place of nerddom. Which I think makes sense for this show in particular. But with that, let's get on to the show.
Okay, so we're going to be talking about magic systems today, and this is a really broad topic since just about every fictional story has a system of magic. So then let's ask, much to the annoyance of all the people that hate it when I define things that they think are common sense, what a magic system even is in the first place. And to do that, we first have to describe what magic is. Don't worry, we're not going to describe what a system is. I assume you know what a system is, since you were born into one. Um, and basically, this is just all the weird stuff in your world. Uh, it could be literal magic, superpowers, psychic powers, forces that don't exist in the real world. I mean, basically any kind of pseudophysics that just make things work. So in a fantasy setting, the magic system is the literal spellcasting. While in sci-fi, it could be things like FTL working, uh, aliens looking somewhat human and also submissive and breedable, um, and AI not being a dumb, big piece of total garbagey shit. Because AI in real life fucking sucks, and we all know it. Uh, but a magic system is basically the set of rules and information about the origins, restrictions, abilities, and capabilities of your world's weird shit. Uh, this is also the theories both in-universe and out-of-universe about what the magic is, where it comes from, and also all the connecting pieces that make it work in the world, as well as makes it work internally. And I know all of that sounds very self-explanatory, but it's still worth actually defining just so we all have it in mind. So, with that, let's talk about actually defining them. And uh, this... This section is going to be literally lifted from uh, C.R. Rowenson, um, because if I had to do it myself, then this section would be like four and a half fucking hours long. Um, but Rowenson actually created something that's reasonable and useful. Um, and he's done that by creating a very handy chart to define four kinds of magic systems. So first, he uses Brandon's, Brandon Sanderson's, and... See what I mean about writers borrowing from each other? I'm borrowing from him, and he's borrowing from Sanderson. Um, hard and soft magic for the first axis. And this is the gradient of knowledge available about and known rules by both the audience and characters surrounding your magic. So in other words, this is the amount of absolute horseshit you can get away with before your audience starts to get pissy. Uh, the other axis is rational and irrational. Uh, this is how logical, consistent, and pattern-recognizable your system is, and also how many rules and limits the system has. Uh, the more disjointed and random, the more irrational. The more orderly and interconnected, the more rational. And when you combine these axes, you have four forms of magic systems. First is hard and irrational, which, you know, much like my penis, is largely known and understand how it works, but there's a very clear gaps of logic. You know, like how my wiener really likes the other wiener, but not when it's attached to, like, someone who's very masculine. Um, also, diamond hard. Uh, in this magic system, it's hard to predict what could come next. Again, like my penis. And a lot of superhero media plays off of this one, because, sure, there's consistent rules sometimes. Uh, but very rarely do we really understand superpowers, how they work, where they come from, or have any amount of consistency between them, even if they have the exact same source. Second is hard and rational. 
In this system, we know the system, and it has both clear rules and also easily followed patterns. It's very easy to build patterns and extrapolate things to potentially fit into the system. Yeah, like in Avatar The Last Airbender, the system is consistent, where we know the rules, and there are patterns to those rules. You know, like the waterbenders being able to bloodbend or sweatbend, and earthbenders being able to metalbend, or firebenders able to summon lightning, and all of these things would make sense and flows with the logic. Third is soft and irrational, which you might assume is like, my wiener when it's not hard, but joke's on you, I always am. Uh, but in this system, most of the rules are unknown and it's uh, and unclear, and it's hard to see or find a pattern, either because magic happens so infrequently or doesn't have any consistency at all. And a great good example of this is Lord of the Rings, since we don't really know how the system works or why. And largely, us understanding how the magic works isn't the point. And for a lot of well-written stories, with this form of magic, it's largely the same. But for shitty stories, this is usually just how it ends up working. And finally is soft and ir- <laughs> And finally is soft and rational, which is like your wiener. Isn't hard, never been hard, and also vanilla. So in this system, most is very unclear and unknown, but has shown enough of a pattern or consistency for the readers to be able to generally predict what's going to happen, or can guess at what the rules might be. And this might be controversial depending on how you interpret it, but I think that the psyker powers of 40k and the magic for Warhammer Fantasy, uh, poor enough for the homie, uh, actually match this. Because while we don't know the upper limits or why exactly all of this is happening, we do know enough to estimate the results of things and extrapolate the rules of the system and what they might be. Now, while this is really good to categorize your magic, this doesn't really help you to actually choose the kind of magic to use. This is more of the style. So to help you out with that, we have a whole just fuck-off list of different kinds of magic. And I'm just going to list these rapid-fire, because again, there's, uh, there's a lot of them. So, firstly is deific magic, which comes from the gods and usually requires favor and worship. Second is magical words, which come from the spellcasters reciting certain syllables or symbols that either interact with magic or, like, reminds them how to do it uh, to create specific effects. Uh, third is elemental magic, where the spellcaster is able to control and command specific elements, but, I mean, most commonly are, like, Greek and Chinese elements. Fourth is ritual magic, which requires specific environments and repeated actions to work. Uh, the fifth is sourced from supernatural beings aren't necessarily gods. Sixth is nature-based magic, which manipulates and controls the forces of nature and the elements, which is, again, very similar to elemental magic. Uh, divination magic grants insights and knowledge of the unknown and usually uses some sort of medium. Uh, conjuration magic moves things from one place to another and creates things from nothing or takes them from elsewhere. Which, if you've ever wondered where your ghost herds go, this is where. Some wizard needs them for something. Uh, psychic powers manipulates and communicates through the mind. Life and death magic uses and manipulates the flow and forces of life, death and undeath. And finally, magitech is the phrase everyone says when they don't want to be fucked to explain their magic. Any sufficiently advanced science is indistinguishable from magic. Any sufficiently explained magic is indistinguishable from science. Okay, 
now that we've covered all of these things, we do need to talk about something very simple. Do you need a magic system in the first place? No. No? Kinda? Yeah? And because, see, here's the deal about this trope. If you don't have a magic system, then you don't have magic. Because when you're writing, your audience is on the lookout for systems and internal logic and things that make sense. It just comes with the territory of being a writer with an audience. So if you don't intentionally create a system of magic and explain things, when you automatic, then you automatically have a soft and irrational system. And not in the well-designed or intentional way, in the shit story way. So if you have any kind of magic or pseudophysics, you need to at the very least think about its use or it's automatically going to be or it's automatically going to be considered bad writing. Otherwise, if you aren't including magic, then you really don't need to worry about this at all. Uh, but with that, we're actually going to go over to the history section. Alright, alright. So this history section, like normal, is going to be fairly short. Because while there's a lot of magic systems in the world and a lot of different ways to go about this, and we've been doing this for a while, we're really only going to be covering major events. So beginning with all of human history, and whoa, 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 slow down. Don't run away yet. I mean, you can't really get away on foot, especially because I handcuffed this together during the stinger. So we aren't going into the entire timeline of human history. The things we need to cover is just that we've been surrounded by magic systems since the beginning. And what do I mean? Well, first of all, yes, I did handcuff us together, but also, since the beginning of human history, we've had religious beliefs, folklore, magical ideas, and weird concepts of how reality works. I'm going to ask you to stop trying to pick the lock. You're not going to be able to get it off. And in addition to that, we've always made up fictional stories. So we've always used magic systems whether or not we actually believe in them. And for millennia, a lot of magic systems you find in the world were one of two things. The first is the system that's used in a lot of religions and kind of like magical ideas of how the world works. A kind of tit-for-tat system where if you give the gods or magical creatures a sacrifice of something or dedicate something to them, then you can ask for something in return. Like the ancient Greek gods, even gods like Ares got worshipped, Despite being a total coward and a piece of shit, even by their standards of being a douchebag, they'd still ask him for favor to stay away from them. You know, or like if there's a big ditty goth eldritch being in the forest, and so you leave her one either very lucky or very unlucky man tied up on the edge of the forest every decade or so, and in return, she protects your livestock and won't come into your house and eat your children, that's also another example of that kind of magic system. But the other system was the folklore and fictional story system, where it's basically just, hey, bud, I'm going to ask you to stop asking questions and shut the fuck up. And this was common because in a lot of ancient stories, there were more moral lessons and education, and the magic wasn't the main point, even a little bit. And because storytelling was usually done orally, fuck yeah, uh, the storyteller had to have very tight control over the story and the storytelling session to not, like, fucking forget parts of it. I mean, the best way to prevent someone from knocking the entire story off track was to tell them, hey, shut the fuck up and don't ask why this works. It's just the gods or something. 
And these systems are what's been used by a lot of creators and writers up to today. But speaking of which, we jump all the way forward to 1872, where the first modern fantasy story is written. And if you thought that was Lord of the Rings, you'd be wrong, you fucking moron. Nah, I'm kidding. It's understandable you thought that. But anyways, this book, uh, The Princess and the Goblin, written by George MacDonald, was released in 1872. And this book fits very closely to folkloric story structure, being about a princess and the son of a miner absolutely genociding goblins under a castle. Oh, don't worry about the moral implications of that. This is before we had to consider them people. Uh, I'm talking about the British, not the goblins. Uh, but anyways, the magic system in this was similar to folkloric magic systems. <laughs> I I feel like I, I shouldn't have to clarify, but I also feel like I kind of do have to clarify because I've seen how Twitter behaves. I meant the goblins. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, I anyways, um... The magic system that was used was similar to folkloric magic systems, uh, being focused on specific objects, and it wasn't really ever explained. Uh, and this story in the magic system is really reflective of the times, while uh, with it appealing to the British public at the time, they really, really wanted to remember the quickly disappearing world of mystery, wonder, and simplicity in an increasingly industrialized world. And almost 50 years later, we have a new set of magic systems. And this is where we diverge a bit in two different directions. So in 1950, we have Jack Vance's Dying Earth series being introduced, which introduces Vancean magic. Uh, which, I'm going to go over that real quick, is Vancean magic is a set of three rules for magic that has since been used all across fantasy. Uh, those being, first, magical events are packed into distinct spells with fixed purpose and power. Second, that spells represent a kind of magic that has to be prepared in advance and can only be used a specific number of times until needing to be prepped again. And third, that mages have a finite capacity for spells. Which may sound familiar, and you'll see why soon. But this form came about in the U.S. during a time where culturally we were becoming hyper-fixated on reason and systems in response to the Cold War. And we were specking hard into science to try to beat Russia, so the idea of folkloric magic just wasn't very appealing at all. Meanwhile, in 1954, we have the Lord of the Rings release, which obviously took off massively. But the magic system of the Lord of the Rings is very folkloric. Uh, most magic is used by specific people and places, wizards are within specific objects, and aren't particularly well described or delved into. But this isn't because Tolkien didn't care or had gaps in world building, because trust me, motherfucker didn't miss a thing. It's because he was a good writer and delving into the physics of the magic wasn't story relevant. Magic was more relevant as a mystery and as the dying of the light of the old times moving towards the more boring and darker human world. And this again reflected the times, because Britain at the time was both reeling from World War II, still, and it's only been like nine years, I was also deeply embroiled in the Cold War. And unlike the US, the UK public wanted something to feel safe and pastoral to kind of just go back to the good old days when it felt like living on the island was 
happy, safe, and Britain was in control. Which is what this form of magic did for them. Okay, and now we move on to 1977, when Dungeons & Dragons was first released. And this kind of marries the two systems together from earlier. How, you ask? Well, the creators were a bunch of fucking nerds, and they created the initial system of magic using D&D based on war games, which at the time used ammunition. So spells were tracked by ammo, and fancy and magic worked really, really well with that. But the system turned towards roleplay and less towards warplay, Oh, I just thought about that in a different context, and that's kind of gross. Uh, the group leaned heavily on the folkloric magic for enemies and foes to make them seem more powerful while keeping Vancian magic for players to give them, like, limitations. Which then goes on to influence uh, fancy writers across the world for generations. Which then takes us to almost the modern day, but also 30 years ago, the 1990s. Which is fun to think about for all of you listening that were cognizant during the 90s, unlike me. But in the 1990s, when Robert Jordan begins to write the Wheel of Time series. Which is not only incredibly popular, but turns magic into an almost actual science. Where spells and abilities have repeatable and measurable results that can be relied upon to work as intended. Which again, makes sense for the time. As does in 2006, when Brandon Sanderson releases Mistborn which builds on the zeitgeist of the time and also introduces additional features that will become common across magic and fantasy in general. Because in Mistborn, not only is magic tightly controlled with specific and oftentimes well-defined and damn near scientific effects, but they also have a lot of difficulty and cost associated with them. Which again, makes sense for the time. I mean, it was a transitionary period where a lot of bad shit we've become numb to today was starting to become disturbingly common but while the majority of people alive knew of a world that felt a lot safer, more consistent, and more well understood. So, this appealed to a lot of people because it's magic you can grasp and understand and feel like you know what's happening, while still seeing the writing on the wall warning about the dangers, without feeling like you're going to get blindsided by some new, unforeseen disaster that will ruin your life. Which reminds me, uh, let's go to the modern day. Alright, so today we do actually have a modern status section, and it is kind of a short one, but still important to talk about. So we've been, for a long time, very focused on realism in our fiction, and our magic systems are no different. I mean, basically in every, basically in nearly every discussion I've seen or been a part of about magic for nearly two fucking years has been about why magic should have rules, hard versus soft magic, and complaining about how certain settings don't make any fucking sense. But when you look at the popularity of settings with magic systems, I mean, what do you see? Well, a lot of superhero media, first of all, though that's starting to wane a little bit. But we also think, see things like The Witcher, Baldur's Gate, Warhammer, D&D, which, you know, Baldur's Gate and D&D are basically the same thing, and a ton of other fantasy media. But what's the consistent thing? Rules. In these settings, even the superhero ones, there are consistent rules that are usually followed. And not only are these rules generally followed, we also generally know what they are and what the limitations are. However, there's, some, however, there's also something interesting here. 
the rules in all these settings describe how the magic system is used, but not the limitations of the magic system in-universe or where they come from. So the door is open for bigger and bigger things to come, and also gives us as writers the option to pull out some absolute horseshit. And I think like other times, this reflects our times. Superhero stuff is incredibly popular, and the magic system is very appealing because it's a magic system that lets the normal person become unimaginably powerful and do something to save the world. Something we don't have the opportunity to do in our day-to-day -day real life. And in the fantasy stuff, we also find it appealing. Because for years, we've been being disillusioned more and more by the world, and it's no longer mysterious or interesting, and we've become numb to a lot of horrific shit that happens. And I, and a good number of other people I know, can feel Armageddon's massive dick teasing the hole, and I really wish it would just stick it in already. So having an out, and also that element of mystery, is very exciting. And we get pissy when people use that, because either it's absolute horseshit, and we're more sensitive about realism, or because it doesn't reflect our reality anymore. It takes what we know about the world and tells us, hey, but it'll be okay, like the older generations that don't really see the writing on the wall. But, uh, yeah, I mean, with that downer, uh, let's go to why it matters. Okay, so why does this actually matter? Well, there's only really one reason why investment. Because your audience cares a lot more about your story in general if they understand both the world and the stakes. And this includes and this includes things that would normally happen in real life, like random shit happening. I mean, sometimes in real life, a random thing will happen that hurts or helps us with nothing we can do about it and no reason why it happened. Which is not what we want in stories. But this means, as far as magic goes, that even if you want to be a mystery and have intrigue or be entirely random, you need to lead your audience to conclusions about your system and reward them for making the right assumptions. So even in a soft magic system... Man, I'm really getting waylaid from both sides. The fucking train just started passing as the drill's going. Uh, anyways, uh, even in a soft magic system, and I have to hear my own voice, too. Uh, but so even in a soft magic system, you need to lay out rules and be consistent about following them. Because this builds your audience's trust and expectations, and they'll go with you when you decide to do some weird shit. But I know what you're asking. What will your... Why will your audience become invested if you have more rules and less possibilities? Wouldn't it do the opposite? Wouldn't the audience want to be surprised? Like, imagine their faces when I... No. Shut up or I'm going to go get the pillow again. See, having no system that's at all means that for your audience, on the good side, anything is possible and is just as likely as anything else. And on the bad side, they're seeing straight through you and know you're going to write yourself into a corner and abuse the lack of a system to try to avoid it. Which means that regardless, your audience during a moment of tension might not be feeling the tension with you at all. Instead, they'll be looking for the ex machina. And if you don't provide it, they're going to be pissed that it didn't come when you never establish why it can't. And if it does, they're going to be disappointed because that either has robbed the tension from the moment, or they're going to respond with a massive eye roll as they realize that you've done this thing so no other reason for no other reason than to artificially create tension. 
So then, I mean, with all of this, like, shit that's scary to writers that I just told you about, how do you design a magic system? How do you avoid your audience not being angry with you, but being disappointed? Well, I'll show you how as we build a couple together in the application section. Alrighty, so let's let's ease some of your fears and talk about how to write these things. And the first thing we got to talk about is Brandon Sanderson's Three Laws of Magic. And while you don't have to use them, they're super valuable to keep in mind and are also just generally pretty well known. So they're going to come up anyways. Also, Brandon Sanderson is a cool dude. Oh, God, please don't do anything fucking terrible in the future. Oh, my God, please don't. Um, But he seems like a pretty cool dude, and it's kind of just like a dick move to be like, I'll need your advice. Fuck you. Um, so anyways, uh, God, I really hope that audio clip doesn't come back to bite me in the ass. Oh my God. Okay. Uh, I'm going to get over my existential crisis now and tell you about the first law. Uh, the first law is that the author's ability to solve conflicts with magic is directly proportional to how well the reader understands said magic, which might sound a little intimidating, but it's actually pretty easy. And it's kind of like talking to that girl you like. Just be normal. What this law means is that you need to make sure that your magic system is explained to an equal degree to your use in the plot. So, for example, say you never explain the magic system. But it's also never really used in the plot. And it's just kind of in the background and something you see in these uh, like wacky side characters. Well, that's fine. You don't... like Your audience probably won't care. Let's say you over-explain the magic. Well, now that's bad, because you're telling your audience something they don't need to know and wasting time stroking your own dick instead of just getting on with it. Or in the opposite direction, you're doing just random bullshit without your audience understanding why it's happening. This is also meant to keep you on a leash, in, in the kinky way, because if you have this leash, then you can actually focus on your world's magic and it and put it in a direction instead of just randomly doing some shit that comes to mind. Uh, the second law is that your magic's limitation should be greater than its abilities. And that is that the cost, limits, and weaknesses of your magic system is the interesting and unique parts because, I mean, let's be fucking real here, you aren't going to come up with something unique for what superpowers it gives you. It's just going to be a remix of every other fantasy and fiction story ever created and specifically your favorite ones. And in this context, let's define what some of the what some of those terms are. So your magic's cost is the price you pay for your magic. Like if your magic system comes from Satan, then maybe the enchantment spell that you just cast to make everyone like you comes with the price of now having to deal with whatever the succubus sent from hell wants you to do. And I don't mean like the the hentai succubus that wants your nut. I mean like the lore accurate succubus that wants to vor your soul. The weaknesses are what your magic is vulnerable to. Like, if magic gets actively absorbed by iron, then suddenly your entire magic system is just fucking useless during a battle because now everyone just needs to wear a wrought iron necklace or have, I don't know, any weapon past the year 200 BC. And limitations is what your magic can't do. 
So, like, if your magic system is unable to intervene in someone's fate, then you can interpret that to mean that healing and resurrection magic doesn't work. And if it does, you need to fucking run, because that person is a chosen one, and being their friend is almost worse than being their enemy. Okay, and the last law is to expand what you have before you add new things. Which basically means extrapolate on it, interconnect your magic system into the world, and find all the nooks and crannies you want to haphazardly shove it into you before you make new things. Because oftentimes, when you do this, you find not only blind spots to your own magic system, but you also don't have to do anywhere near the amount of work you would have to otherwise do. I mean, think, what's easier? Making an entire system to explain how metal airships work, or just strapping an air elemental inside of a rubber prison and hoping to whatever gods you believe in that someone doesn't get the bright idea to let it out? There's a cum joke there. I'm going to let you make it. Because as much as some of you would like to think that you're better than me, you are not. You are on the same level I am. Also, before we get into the actual recipes of how to make a magic system, we should also talk about, in general, what styles of magic system are better for what outcomes. So, in general, you're going to want to use a soft magic system for villains, deuteragonists, and supporting casts while using hard magic system for heroes. And why is that? Well, because having limitations on your magic for characters you actually give a shit about makes your writing easier. Because you don't need to think about all the weird shit that your audience will throw in your face that you could have used to prevent everything wrong with the story and setting in about half a second. Like how in D&D, a paladin can use five hit points from their pool to cure a disease, and yet instead, they often wander far away from the people that could really use it to, you know, survive, to massacre entire villages of goblins, and they're still considered to be the good guys. Also, having these hard limits gives your setting and story the illusion of understanding your world's magic and gives your writing some stakes and a feeling of tension since your audience knows exactly what your characters are incapable of doing. But for other characters, since we aren't seeing the world through their eyes, you aren't limited by this. You can do basically whatever you want, especially because you can easily hand wave it as a form of magic your protagonist won't or can't use. You know, like using a combination of period of blood and orphan tears caused by you telling them Santa isn't real to cast spells. And the protagonists can't do that because, firstly, they don't have a vagina, and secondly, because that's mean. What the fuck is wrong with you? And also, if your villain is supposed to be a magical threat, then they can't be on the same level as your protagonist. They have to have weird and unexpected shit you can pull out to beat your protagonist's butt cheeks like that one fucking gif from an anime I've yet to find but has haunted my nightmares for almost a decade. Seriously, I have no idea where it's from. I just... I think it was like a meme compilation I was watching uh, in my early teenage years. And like... I have no idea what the fuck that came from or why... <laughs> why someone decided to animate that. Uh, if someone, if someone finds it literally just from me saying that, I am going to be very surprised. Uh, that person will probably receive some money. Uh, okay, so with that, let's go through the recipes for how to make a magic system, beginning with mine. Uh, because this is my podcast, and also I'm a writer, so if you're going to be a dick and tell the podcast man to shut up and say what the experts say, I'm going to slap my cock on the table and just shrug. Okay, so 
how I do it is by taking a magic system that I know very well, or that I like, and then scratch off all the serial numbers and all the setting-specific shit. And then from there, I fix all the things that I broke by doing that, and replace them with my own setting-specific stuff. You know, like when you can't afford a Build-A-Bear for your girlfriend, so you steal one from a child, rip its organs out in front of them, and then stuff it yourself with a reverse-polarity vacuum cleaner with wall cotton candy. And if it's too familiar, still, then I break it again and add in stuff from folklore I like, other magic systems I'm recycling, and how I think it should work. And this, in my opinion, creates a magic system that feels cozy and comfortable and like a nice warm blanket of familiarity for myself and my audience, while still being different enough to activate my neurons. So, let's go with an example of this recipe. And let's begin by taking the magic system of D&D and scratching off all the setting-specific stuff. So the spell school names and identifiers, uh, spellcaster names and spells, cosmological implications, and the name of the weave and setting-specific reasons why there's a cap are all removed. So now what we have is a system of eight fields of magic that are levels 1 to 10 that are caused by a woven sheet of magic of magical energy that suffuses all of existence. And this is an entirely broken system, because there's nothing mooring it to the setting, and also it fucking sucks. And from there, we build up the schools, what each level means, and also adding in your own cosmological implications. But, on this one, I'll actually leave it up to you. Because, holy fuck, I don't think you want to see this part. It's going to deal you psychic damage with what I do. So, let's go to another recipe. This one, brought by Doug Lansborough. And for this recipe, you're going to want to start by designing the source. So, ask yourself where this magic comes from, why and how it works, and what someone has to do to make it work. Is there a single thing this comes from? Is it a force of nature, or man-made, or other weird conductive materials you need to use? So, for this recipe's example magic system, let's say this magic is a force of nature that just exists within things. Which is like the ambient force of magic in the world. In order to use it, you have to have something in your hand that can absorb magical force or be a naturally or you have to be naturally connected to the forces of magic and then you just think and it happens the second step is to define the abilities what kind of things can this magic do well yes you can make it infinite trying to make sure that's shown to the audience as consistent and also don't really worry about having magic systems be clo- be too close to other magic systems with the abilities since as we said there's no such thing as a unique magic system. Also, make sure that the abilities serve a point and aren't just random things you threw in. So, let's make this an elemental system where each form of magic is control over a specific element. And let's go with the classic Chinese elements of earth, fire, water, wood, and metal, and also add in wind, lightning, and rot. So, within our magic system, each of these forms of magic can grant you complete control over one of the eight elements. Which is consistent and also has some wiggle room because these elements are also symbolic and not really literal. Which segues into the cost and limitations. Which is basically what prevents this magic from being all-powerful. And the cost can be things like life force, body parts, resources, lodestones, or any other objects you might have to use or sacrifice. And limitations are things that prevent magic from being used, which would include legal and societal rules in your settings, or are literal laws of reality that prevent magic from doing certain things. So, let's go through this with our system. Starting first with the costs. 
So for the system, our magic corrupts our users and also draws on your pool of magic, which is limited. So you can only cast magic for so long from a particular source. While you cast the magic, since you're altering how it flows and operates, then it'll change whatever you're using to cast. So if you use your own body to cast rot magic, not only is your own pool of rot energy, or what causes you to age and eventually die and then decay and return to the earth, uh, being reduced to eventually nothing, but you're also being mutated into a fucking emotep. And for the limitations, let's say that if you use one form of magic, then you can't use its opposite or be affected by it for any reason. And that you can't use any, any magic of other forms once you specialize up to a certain point. So with our dry, fingied, wrinkly dick falling off from leprosy rot mage, they can't use or be affected by wood magic, which really sucks for them for a variety of reasons. And if they're really good at rot magic, they can only use raw magic. And then finally, design your magic users. Who are they? What are their demographics? Is this a job? Is this even legal? Do doctors hate them? Uh, what do they need to do to use this magic? Well, that's where for our system we lean on Eastern folklore and philosophy like a good little culturally appropriate artist and say that this magic system requires intensive training and dedication to use in a full and a full philosophical understanding of the element. And the deeper you understand and the more you dedicate your mind and body to it, the stronger you get. And while anyone can you know, eventually learn how to do this, most people will never be able to find the amount of willpower and natural talent for to even start trying. And to steal from the East more, this isn't a job, but it's a lifestyle, like living as a monk. In order to use this magic, you have to focus on your magic's philosophical implications while also doing certain body movements. And, uh, I mean, that we have a pretty good magic system. Or at least the basis of one. You don't really have to make individual spells and stuff necessarily, and you can go from this point. Just as long as you stick to the skeleton of a system, you'll be fine. Okay, and now let's talk about the final recipe example. The one used by C.R. Rowanson you might remember from earlier. So under the system, you begin by generating ideas. Rather than trying to force your brain in a direction, you just sit and let ideas come to you. You know, go ahead and do that now while you're listening. I'll try to slow down a little bit. So don't try to force anything and just kind of let the ideas come out of you. And, you know, like with writing comedy, horror, and also doing world building, you might want to throw out your first few ideas. Since these will be ones you think of often and are either really common uh, or, you know, are, like, seen pretty often in the genre. Either from you or from other writers. Alright, you got an idea? Good. So, your next step is alignment. Align your ideas to your world and your setting. And this isn't by trimming things away, necessarily. Rather, it's molding and forming the ideas into the story. So if you came up with something magitech for your story, don't trim away the idea that you had of it being a super rare fuel source being used because your story doesn't touch on that. Instead, find a way to bend and morph and mold that idea into something that fits into your story. Like if your story is about the dangers of using resources given to you from your capitalist overlords to fight your capitalist overlords, then making the fuel for these magical powers be something the protagonist has to buy from an antagonist would be molding the magic into the story. 
And this is less about rules and more about the point. Like making your magic system match the point of your story. What does this system of magic say about the story? And what is the purpose of it in the first place? Alright, and your third step is to define the system. Dig into the nitty-gritty details and exactly how your system operates. Link together the concepts and ideas and rules you've thought of. Link together the concepts and ideas and rules that you've thought of. Because, remember, undefined power weakens your story. By having just the right amount of explanation, your audience will want to learn more and dig deeper. And then finally, iterate. Do it all again and keep going over and over again until you have a system that you're happy with. And with that, let's go to my soapbox. Alright, so instead of asking what my opinion of magic systems is, since clearly I love them, uh, let's talk about why. See, I love magic systems because at the core of it, to me, this is what sets sci-fi and fantasy apart from the rest of fiction. These systems, on top of showing our creativity as creators, are also the heart and soul of the entire genre. We want our worlds to be cool and different from all the other worlds, and I fucking love doing that. And I love the world building of magic almost more than the actual story, which, I mean, holy shit, is that very clear if you've ever had the displeasure of seeing me create. World building a magic system lets me let loose all the insane ramblings I have in my head. And there are so many options. Also, I do have to say, if you ever encounter someone that dislikes a magic system, I don't think you've met someone that likes fiction. Because everything from superhero fiction to high fantasy and even to sci-fi that doesn't look like it has a magic. To even sci-fi that looks like it doesn't have a magic system. And we talked about at the beginning of the episode that without magic, most of these settings just don't work. But yeah, I have a whole lot of fun not just making these systems, but also seeing other people's. And it's a ton of fun for me to see what people can come up with. And hey, if you do from this episode, let me know about it. I would love to hear it. All right, let's get out of here. Okay, and there's episode 21 done. Man, I have not had a controversial opinion lately, I guess. But anyways, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast feed, like it, leave a review, whatever else it is you can do on your platform of choice. Send me an email at waytappods at gmail.com. That is W-A-Y-T-A-T-P-O-D-S at gmail.com. With questions, concerns, opinions, compliments, insults, um, actuallys, your favorite shitty magic systems, uh, what magic systems you prefer, and anything else you want to tell me. Also, follow me on Twitter at waytat underscore pods. Uh, and remember to check out my other podcast, Waytat, where I talk about other topics that are uh, usually terrifying in some way and also often sad. It's a good show, though. Uh, come check it out. Uh, but with that, have a good night. Have fun. Keep writing. And remember, the crusty titty milk and bad words summons the demons. This has been Why Are You Talking About This, and I've been your host, William. Good night.